I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today I'm speaking with Professor Emeritus Walter Davis. Unlike many of the people who try to talk psychoanalytic theory today, I actually had the benefit of a five-year classical analysis with a woman who was trained at Tavistock under Winnicott and uh, the wonderful woman whose name is escaping me right now who wrote the book, The Hands of the Living God. Uh, She did a lot of work with psychoanalysis and art. Uh, and so, I, and and I and I want to say that, uh, and I've always said this to people at uh, in the academic world who usually don't say these kinds of things. Psychoanalysis saved my life, so my debt to it is a personal experience before it is any attempt to uh, to theorize. But I'm the kind of person who always takes his experience as a source both of art and of conceptualization. And so I think it was pretty natural that uh, having gone through the psychoanalysis, I would also try to comprehend what I'd learned in theoretical terms. Now, I should add my own, uh, the theory that I've developed uh, draws on many psychoanalytic thinkers, primarily on one named Sigmund Freud. I don't want to forget him. Uh, But it is, uh, I think, something for which I alone am responsible in the the sense that that, uh, uh, I didn't, what I try to articulate, I never quite found in anyone else. So I found it very close in Freud. Freud Freud once uh, made a statement uh, where he said, "You, you may find in my work the basis for a very grave philosophy. And of course, you know very well Freud's great respect for the tragic as fundamental human experience. Uh, That's uh, what I think uh, we have to preserve above all uh, as we try to sustain uh, analysis, and I think that involves also sustaining analysis against many of the ways we lose the founding insights that Freud had. Uh, and I'd say two, basically. One, that you live your life trying to escape something, and that's how you run into it, because that's how you, you know, in trying to flee your 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 psyche, you will create the conditions that bring it down hard upon you, and thus whatever that traumatic event is where you find out you've been living a lie and living a flight and you've got to now fess up, that's where I think any theory of the psyche has to begin. What is it that brings us to such events? What is it that gives our life the structure of a tragic drama that's been delayed, repressed, denied, and then somehow comes a cropper? And when it does, of course, that's the moment of greatest possibility, because that's where 
self-knowledge might create the possibility of real interchange. Uh, that, for me, has always been totally connected with Freud's understanding of sexuality as the very source, origin, and abiding conflict of us as psychological human beings, but also as lovers. Because it, I think it is in the act of love that we experience our psyche, its inherent conflicts and traumas in the very terms of immediacy as bodies. Uh, the sexual body is the place where we most intimately and traumatically know who we are, who we, what we're afraid of being, and what we have to, to do in order to, uh, good old Freud, I'm thinking of another thing he said. He said, all you got to do is love and work. If you can figure out those two and do those two, you got it made. Uh, my favorite word, and it's grown stronger in me over the years, is work. It's always been my favorite word. I've always loved work. Uh, I get up to do it, and, and then when I'm exhausted from it, I play with the dog. But uh, but to learn to love is just as great a labor, and to learn how to undo the various ways in which our bodies have been, and now I don't want to go right on you or anything like that, but all the ways in which our bodies have become the place where we lodge uh, all those wounds. And yet the place where we may announce and then, of course, flee possibilities that, that, that oppose us to what is dead in us. That, to me, is the most exciting uh, I'm saying this too abstractly now. That's the way I live the damn thing out. Uh, uh, I remember a friend uh, once said to me, we were talking, and he said, he said, I think your sex life is the analysis, Mac, and I think the analysis is just the commentary on it. <laughs> and I, I wanted to say, well, yes, of course, uh, because I could never follow that rule of abstinence, you know. Uh, those are the things, so I'd, I'd say that I noticed from listening to the podcast you did with my good friend, Todd McGowan, with whom I argue constantly. We, we, have, a, we have a relationship where we, we, are, we are constantly able to say to each other, well, I disagree with you completely on this issue. Uh, but I noticed in, in, uh, in, in listening to the one he did, uh, the... Uh, the desire to find ways to um, focus my own theorizing on experiences. Uh, and I guess part of that is because, as you know, I'm not just a guy who writes theoretical books. I'm an actor and a playwright and a guy who's now uh, writing the fifth volume of an interminable novel that uh, that I hope to finish this year so I can revise it. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is the aesthetic has, has always been for me the place where I could m most uh, most engage uh, the 
the experiences that I've found uh, in my life that are illuminated by psychoanalysis. Um, do you want to ask any questions about that or make comments of your own? I don't know how you, how you want to do this. I feel I'm, I'm talking too much here. Well, there's a couple things, and you're, it's great for you to talk too much. I love it. Um, but I, there's two things that I pointed out uh, in my mind while you were talking. I love that you're bringing up the body. You don't have to go full Reich, but, you know, I think it's yeah. something that's really gotten lost in psychoanalysis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's so essential, clearly. And then also, what came first, theater or psychoanalysis? Theater came first, uh, but in strange ways, and I'll get back to that in a minute. The reason I talk about the body and about sexuality and about love, which is one of the places where Todd and I have very antithetical theories, is because I think there's nothing more terrifying than to be touched with tenderness by someone who loves you or whom you love. Um, that's, uh, uh, that's an experience uh, that it, it's very easy to avoid. It's an experience where the anxiety of having a psyche and of feeling is experienced in the, in the terms of immediacy. Uh, this is a, a thing that connects it with acting. An actor's medium is his or her body. That's where I find the emotions or where I find, you know, it's interesting thing. Psychoanalysis and acting have so many connections. And even though he went in certain bad directions with it, Strasbourg understood this, that it's where you're blocked within is where you can find your greatest power as an actor, if you can unlock that. And the only way you're going to be able to unlock it is by interacting with other actors in ways that are physical. Our emotions are, are initially, are primarily ways of physically being. Um, and uh, the acting came first, but what I always, I was always a, the actor that people wanted to rein in. Because they said, you're, you're taking this thing down into dangerous areas, pal. I'll give you a funny story. Can I give you a funny story as part of it? There's one time I was playing a pimp uh, in a very good production uh, played by Marsha Norman called Getting Out. And in fact, he was a strung out drug addict pimp who got to say, among other things, he came in and he was trying to get his former girlfriend to go back on the street for him. And at one point, he threw a bottle of milk at a statue of Jesus that she had on the wall, and he said, who's that, your fucking boyfriend? Which the audience always gasped. But one night, my two kids were at the theater, and I, I was a single parent, so I used to take them. And at intermission, a couple adults came up to them and said, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be watching this play. Does your father know you're here? And my son, Stephen, who is now a director in New York, he said, he's the pimp. So, so that was the, the unconventional introduction that I gave my children to, to, uh, to the ways in which the beauty of theater is that if you do it right, 
It's an a chance to explore your own psyche in a somewhat controlled situation, just as analysis is a chance to do that in a controlled situation. And of course, it's my, I have two ideas that I'd call from all of this that I've tried to live out. What you don't know about yourself is what you do to the other person, especially those that are closest to you. And the most valuable thing you can give me is what I don't want to know about myself. I guess what I'm trying to say, Vanessa, is I, I, I think I'm much more somebody who wants psychoanalysis to be lived uh, 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 constantly uh, and also theorized. I want to go back for a second to one of the things I find such a discontent uh, with some of the things that have happened to psychoanalysis in the United States, where it's become so attached to a kind of a happy talk, feel good attachment, uh, uh, bonds of love, strong ego bullshit. Uh, uh, and, and what you have there is rather than uh, exploring uh, what you don't want to know, it's more let's reestablish defenses and reinforce them with a whole uh, 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 system of fake attachment so that we can flee the whole thing. Uh, most of them don't talk about sex anymore either. One of the things I feel is dangerous, and I, I find this especially in certain branches of Lacanian analysis, there's a tendency to become self-enclosed so that you can only, it's, it's extremely powerful stuff. Uh, you know, he's great, but I think it should be opened to a broader discourse with, with not with uh, bonds of love and attachment, blah, blah, blah. In fact, there are a couple books that try to do that and they're, they're just ludicrous, but with real, you know, vital movements like, uh, I mean, Mike works so much out of Bion. Uh, Winnicott's got great stuff. I love Melanie Klein. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I reformulate it in certain ways because I think her mistake or her need was to put it all on the kid and protect the holy mother Melanie. Uh, you know, there's a very good play about that and her relationship to her daughter. Uh, I think what uh, what's really there is a theory of of the traumas of the interaction between the mother's unconscious and conscious desires being imposed on the child and the child's attempt to say, no, <laughs> I'm going to have mine and, you you know, and, and that battle. Uh, but she, she's, uh, she was very, she was, uh, uh, I mean, it, it also because my analyst was, was from there, uh, Winnicott and Klein became one of the contexts of, of our talk. Which was, it was really neat. I, uh, she used to ha let her dog sit in on the sessions. Or <laughs> I'd be on the couch, she'd be in the chair, and the dog would be on the floor sleeping. <laughs> uh, can I tell you uh, a little bit? I don't know. That'd probably get it. I, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this novel that I'm writing. Please do. Yeah, okay, because that's, uh, 
that's where all of this came together for me. Although it came together on stage, too. I was lucky when I was a young guy, I played Hamlet and discovered that's the part you will never be done with. And you'll spend the rest of your career going back to it, saying, I'm going to get it right if I could only do it now. Well, I did uh, uh, about a year ago. I wrote a play called Hamlet at 75. Uh, one person play and it's been filmed by my son who's uh, who's editing it now and eventually uh, in fact probably in February it'll be available and I'm going to put it online so I'll, I'll send it to you and others so that it's a, it's a kind of a thing it's an actor an old actor thinking about the part and then bleeding back into the part so he becomes Hamlet again in the course of the thing, which was, among other things, at age 75, I thought, hey, I want to play a young guy. <laughs> but uh, the larger project that I've been engaged on for over 10 years now is the writing of this book that I've titled The Last Catholic. Some people hear that title and they say, oh, I didn't know you were religious. And I said, you don't see the pun in the title, folks. Catholic means universal, and the last Catholic in my book is sex. But it is also about the conflict between a very repressive religious upbringing and the attempt to free oneself of that, of that internalized superego that, that attacks you in your body. Because uh, that's, you know, as, as traumatized, sexually traumatized people, know that that force attacks you in your body and that's where the uh, where the struggle for your for your liberation takes place i uh, finally got it to a point where in the fifth volume there's two people and they are going to get together in the finality of love whether they're going to make it or not i don't know and that's the fun of of, of working on it but they're both actors and they meet uh while rehearsing a play that they're also writing. It's a play that they're, they've been brought together to write this play through improvisations. And it's about a painter and five of his models. So there'll be five scenes where the guy plays the painter and the woman plays the five different women. And it's actually one man's relationship to one woman developed over uh, the course of these five paintings plus the relationship between these two people as their improvisations creating the character also creates a relationship between them. So there'll be scenes like in the third act, which I hope they get to next month, there'll be scenes of them in bed uh, between rehearsals and scenes of them doing things in rehearsals so that uh, uh, the discovery will be both of the of the fictional characters and of the real relationship between these two people. And it's all it all begins with this notion where the woman comes to the guy and she's he's a he's a painter. She says, I want to learn how to paint. And he says, well, then you better learn how to suffer. And the play begins with that concept that art and suffering are somehow bound together. But I how did this start for you? I always wanted to write it. Um, I wanted, I mean, I wanted to go back into my own origins, which are very much those of, uh, uh, we were working class. My mother was super Catholic. I'm her oldest firstborn son. She wanted 
being an Irish woman to boot, my father German, she wanted her first son to be a priest. And what my mom wanted, she was a very seductive woman. She knew how to plant within the things that would make her really happy. Wouldn't it be such a blah, blah, blah? And so there was, and, and to put it in more technical terms, my mother made it clear, especially to my father, that she had transferred all of her love that she had for him into her love for her firstborn son. So I was the successful Oedipal criminal. You don't want to be that because then you've got to punish yourself. My father became uh, an extremely abusive alcoholic who drank himself to death by the age of 60. And it's not a good thing to watch. And so uh, I grew up in, uh, in uh, a context where there were constant fights between them, but they were fights that never got to the point. The point was, you castrated me, lady, and you rejected me for that punk kid who will never be able to get a girl because you want to make him a priest. You know, that, that's a vulgar way of putting it. But that, that conflict was so uh, immediate in my experience that, that it became, uh, well, we act, I think, in an attempt to resolve a conflict, and what we do instead is perpetuate it in some new form so that it grows more intense. For me, uh, now I'm giving you too much of the novel, but you said this is a little bit like a session. I'm on the couch. What the hell? Go for I, it. Or, the other thing I learned from psychoanalysis is I got no secrets. I got no secrets from anybody because if I can't start keeping secrets from anybody, I'll, I'll start keeping them from myself. Uh, I, uh, I was an extremely repressed kid, Catholic school education, nuns, priests, all the way through, sexually completely screwed up. Like so many of my generation, what did you do with that? You got married at 21 years old. You married somebody that yeah, that was as screwed up as you. You basically avoided things. But I got lucky. When I was 30, Two years old, I found out that my wife was in love with one of my students. But I found out something much more important. I found out that I had set it up. That I had, and I had set it up so that I could say, first of all, so I had my way out but so I could castrate myself completely, complete the castration, and then say, no more. I'm not taking this anymore. I did this to myself. I had to inflict this on myself. And why did I have to inflict it on myself? So that led me right back into recovering the, the, all the origins. But moreover, what do I got to do so that I don't ever do something like that to myself again? And that was, that was, and that was when, and it, this is the way desire works so often. I, I remember the 12 years I was married. Again and again, 
And I, you know, I'm not saying, I'm saying I was a son of a bitch in many, many ways, but I was a faithful son of a bitch. But again, I remember so many times when my wife would be out getting the groceries and I had the fantasy that she had a crash and died. Um, but the deeper fantasy I always had, and, and, the, and the other thing about this is I was teaching out in California at the height of the sexual revolution. So it was staring me in the face. <laughs> oh, my God, those were gorgeous girls. <laughs> and, um, but even before that, I always had this sense, oh, if I hadn't gotten married and if I had had the courage to explore my sexuality, everything would be different. Well, at 33 years old, I said, no time like the present. And when you think it's going to be some free, oh, wow, all I got to do is hop right into desire and I'm floating off into, so you're wrong because you're going to confront one conflict after another. And that's what's really there. Uh, I never, I never felt more powerfully the voice of my mother's superego than at those times. And it would come, it come, initially it came as impotence. And what is impotence? Well, it's, it's fear, it's anger, it's prohibition uh, invested in the body. Uh, it's the anxiety of, of all of that. Uh, and it's also telling you, it's Catholicism telling you capitulate or die. Uh, and then if you, uh, it's like acting. If you keep rehearsing <laughs> uh, with as many, you know, and, and as many, don't be afraid, uh, uh, became my motto. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is that when I, which, what I, and I, I have this argument with Todd again and again because his connection of Hegel and Lacan leads him, and I know he's going to hear this eventually, so I'm, 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 trying, I'm talking to you now, Todd. <laughs> he has the, the belief that to think certain thoughts is to produce certain changes. For me, a thought is, is especially if it's something prohibited, it's a great beginning of liberation, but it's only an overture to working through because it's in our actions that we bring about. First of all, it's in our actions that we discover the real uh, barriers to our freedom. Uh, it's easy to say all sorts of things that I believe and can do, but it's there that I discover uh, within myself the, the very real uh, conflicts that have to be engaged. Uh, I, let me go back for a second to this, this novel I'm writing. I'm happy that I don't know whether the two characters love will work out or not, because that's what I can discover as I write it. I can find things because I don't know. Uh, in fact, I, I think part of what it is, they don't even, they, they know, they know this is the last time because that's the other thing we learn. Our ability to love is not something we can draw on forever. It's something that's fragile. It's at stake when we love. It can very easily be destroyed beyond repair. 
it can very easily seek out desperate ways to sustain itself. Tennessee Williams, a good example of, of, a, of a playwright who writes out of that topic. Uh, all they know is that they, they bring now their wounds and their sense that in this other person, I've found some unique possibility, not of escaping my wound, but of engaging it in a way that, that will enable me to, uh, to find what love demands. Uh, and then we'll write the next scene <laughs> or whatever. Um, and then you have to write your book on Bergman. That's right. Todd keeps, Todd keeps, uh, and, and if that ever happened, I mean, he, he got me to write the essay that I sent you. I'd, I'd, I'd love to write a book on Bergman. I must tell you how Bergman first came into my life. Uh, there, he was, when I went to college, I went to a Jesuit school, Marquette University, a place that I dearly love, though I'm a firm atheist. Uh, uh, um, Bergman was, it was a time when Bergman was in his heyday, but Bergman was regarded among the people of Marquette as kind of, oh, that's dangerous, that's, that's sexy stuff, that's morally challenging, we better stay away from that. And there was one priest there who championed Bergman, but he would only go to a Bergman movie in regular clothes. He wouldn't go to him in his priest garments because he thought he was going to be giving scandal. Uh, and the Bergman movies that was on the other side of Milwaukee it was over at the, the University of Wisconsin and Milwaukee campus that they'd have Bergman and Kurosawa and all this stuff. So it would be this great trip that you sneak out in the night and take the bus and go over and see these movies that uh, by Bergman. And that, you know, it was it was the kind of thing. There's those writers and filmmakers that make that impression on you when you're first discovering your own intellectual hunger. I was the first person on either side of my family who ever went to college. And I remember my mother's words to me just as we parted. She said, if you find that it's too tough, you can come home. There'd be no shame in that, which is a loaded message, of course. I didn't know. I was up there saying, I don't know if I, frankly, in high school, I was just a guy who got in trouble because that was my only way to sustain the negative that I, at that time, I didn't know. I, I discovered up in college all of a sudden, oh my God, am I hungry for knowledge? Am I, am I, I can't get, I, in fact, college, my four years of college, I hardly ever went on a date. I was, and I'd go back uh, during vacations. I'd say, good, everybody's gone. I will get a chance to, to study on my own. And read. I was a maniac. But I was a person who not only was trying to get out of one world, but trying to find a way into another. And I can remember Bergman and William Faulkner and Jean-Paul Sartre as the three people who, who just blew me away at that time. And Shakespeare. Uh, and uh, so that always retains an affection and I and and Persona's been my favorite movie for ages. Uh, so when when I you gave me the opportunity, 
and you and Todd both nudged me. It was a joy to take that time and 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 uh, uh, do what I wanted to do with it. Uh, but yeah, you, it always it'd be great to write a, a full book on it. Yeah, because that chapter is fantastic. Thank you. Now Thank I need you. to see more. <laughs> well, I gotta finish. I gotta finish the novel, and then have a year to revise all of it. And it's about three thousand pages. Uh, Todd uh, sometimes calls me the American Proust, and I say, "Yeah, but I like Beethoven, not Debussy. I like Debussy too." Um, I gotta revise that. Then the book that I'm writing on the psyche is called Psyche as Tragic Process. That's the one where I will lay out this entire theory I've developed, which is in some ways a theory of depression as what Keats called it, the wakeful anguish of the soul. Too often, I mean, that's the other thing I'd say, people waste their pain. You know, they waste it because they say, oh, I got to shut down. I can't think of anything. I can't do anything. I got to protect your pain, your depression. That's the time to be most active. Uh, and in some ways, this book, Psyche is Tragic Process, is to try to outline a theory of the tragic as the best thing that could happen to you, as the chance to really not only know the truth about yourself, which I think, I think if you're going to go down, go down knowing the truth about yourself rather than denying. Put me and Donald Trump in a room together and we'd have a great time, wouldn't we? I'd make that. Excuse me, don't get me off on that. You won't get me off on that. It's a terrible thing to live in our country right now. Do you, do you have, are you going to maintain dual citizenship? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I, uh, uh, you've been gone since November. It gets worse every day. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's horrifying what that man is doing. Uh, and so to be an American right now is to is to take on. Uh, in fact, I there's a part of me. I've, I've as you know, I've written a couple books that are kind of cultural, political stuff. In fact, I've got one by Todd. He just sent me last night too. He writes books faster than I read the damn things. Uh, he's got a new one on identity politics that he's that he's that he's written. Uh, I might have to try to turn back and write some more political stuff. I, uh, when I finished the book, The Irrationation, I said, that's it for politics. For me. But you can never say you're done with politics. Uh, it's a responsibility that you bear. Uh, but, but Bergman, Bergman will always be there as a possibility. Uh, and Todd keeps nudging me. You're nudging me. Uh, there's a lot of other movies that I love. Did I, I don't know if I told you, I was at a party here. I'm in a little town in Grand Haven, Michigan. It's where I live. It's a small place, Redneck or Red, Red District. You know. So I put up signs in my, in my yard saying, hate has no home here and stuff like that. Uh, but I met a woman at a party whose father was the star of the first film made of Bergman's script, the film Torment. This guy was the star of Torment. He was in Summer Interlude. He then came over to the U.S. and acted in, in Hollywood for a long time. But I was able to talk to her about, about Bergman because she because of her father, she knew a lot of it. And it's, it's a nice friendship that I've made here in town. So she'll nudge me, too. How is the collection going? The it's stuff? great. 
Yeah, there's a few people over the holidays that asked if they could have a little extension, and I'm uh-huh. going out of town uh, next week for two weeks, so I gave people through February. But then that's it. Then I'm going to put it together. But we're thinking we're going to make it um, a bit more of an art book and and get some permission from the Swedish society to put some like film still photos in it as well. So it's not just text, but has some really nice images. Good. Do you, do you want the authors to do any help on that deal, uh, on getting the, the film stills? I mean, you know, as, as I was writing the essay, I was thinking, oh, there's that image and that image and that image that, that would be good. But Yeah, well, my husband's Swedish, and he makes films, so oh. I'm sure that he'll that, know that. when he's reading it what you're talking about and what you'll want. But if there's specific images no, that you if want— any, if, he has any, no, if he has any questions— you can get in touch with me, and we'll. He's is his name Abramson. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. Because I see it on on the website. That it's you, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he owns a publishing company, so we figured this would be oh. a, a <laughs> wonderful way for me to uh, integrate sure. myself into the Swedish oh, psyche. So this book is, is that's a yeah that's a wonderful way in. Yeah, we're we're like binge watching all Bergman's films through the winter. What a so wonderful! Watch, I can't watch more than two days in a row. If I watch two in sure. a row, then I'm like, okay, we need a break, and we have to watch like the Late Show with Stephen Colbert or something. Yeah, you know? I, I don't exactly <laughs> what you're saying. But it's Did, been really see, fun. Yeah, there's a film out this year, First Reform, starring Ethan Hawke, and it's really a remake of Winter Light. Uh, with the script written by Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver. And it has it takes the winter light thing and it adds to it an, an environmental theme. Uh, it's a very good film. It's not winter light. Winter light is a perfect film. You know, it's a per, it really is a perfect film. Uh, that would be the next one I, I think I'd want to write on. Uh, though I'd also like to take on the full scenes from a marriage. Uh, and then this and it, it's, it, he's, he's great. That's why you have to write the book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to live long enough to do all these things, which which I'm I'm working. I work out every day. I mean, that's another part of 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 acting. Although I'm that Hamlet thing might might be my final acting. I don't know. I also I played King Lear a few years back, uh, which I thought was going to be my final one. But then I got hungry again, and uh, you never stop being hungry. Exactly. Uh, 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 you know, because you do music and painting as well, don't you? Yeah, and I'm writing a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I I find that for me, the, uh, the two things I'd like to say about this, that the conceptual and the aesthetic, for me, inform each other. Uh, and that connection is such that I couldn't do the one without the other. I'm finding in the in the section of the novel I'm working on right now because it's the characters, it's the two people through improvisations realizing a scene about a painting of a woman who's depressed. So they're exploring depression. Uh, I find as I'm writing the chapter, I'm also writing an essay on depression. But the two things have to be separate. 
They have to be separate sources of experience. Uh, the worst thing that can happen is if your characters start talking like they're concepts, you know, and they're just there to get in ideas. It has to be a moment where all of the concepts submit themselves to another process. And that process, uh, I find, and this may simply be my limitation, I find that process to be ever so much harder because it's a, I think because it's a process that has to uh, open itself to deeper places in the unconscious that one is exploring. Um, and then it, and then that exploration also has to be some kind of working within the form, in my case, within the form of a drama. Uh, what we don't know what the form of drama is yet. We too often we get stuck in, and that's I think one of the ways in which Persona is such a great film because all of a sudden he said, "I don't know if I know what these films are anymore." And maybe I'll find out by letting this thing become openly experimental. Uh, we don't know. We don't know yet what we'll bring back from trying to get to places in the psyche that that the conceptual order cannot reach. That that ends up being being. But but then I talk to Todd and he tells me there is no such thing as experience. <laughs> so. <laughs> that, that it's really a concept in disguise. What does that mean? I you'll have to ask him. You'll have to ask him on that. Uh, I mean, it, he 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 is one of the people who is exploring the connection between Hegel and Lacan, and that's an extremely fertile uh, uh, area of exploration because Hegel is the beginning of so much when he finally says consciousness is unhappy consciousness. It's defined by desire and the struggle for recognition. Well, he's revolutionized philosophy. He's opened it up the way Jackson Pollock opened up painting, if you will. He's, he said, all of a sudden, we've got to find a whole new, what he's basically saying is we can't just talk about the mind. We've got to talk about the psyche. Uh, and, uh, and yet, and this is for you, Todd. And yet there is that Germanic desire to find a way to contain experience in the necessity of a priori concepts, to find a logic, which is also the, the structuralist dimension of Lacan. If I can find a logic of, of the signifier of signification, etc., I can, in effect, describe the structure of all psyches. Uh, Hegel, if I can find the basic logic of thinking, I can describe every possibility so that experience will only be, and now I'm getting real philosophic here, so experience will only be the translation of pure logic into temporal terms. Well, I feel the exact opposite. I feel that temporality, and this is the Heidegger in me, I guess, temporality is the very mode with which existence, in which existence manifests itself as something that exceeds concepts and has to be engaged in other ways. Um, but that, 
that and that's another way of coming back to saying why I I I, I don't think of myself as primarily any one thing. I, I I think I think of yeah I do I think of myself as a guy who got away with never growing up. <laughs> that is never limiting, limiting because it never made sense to me. I was always most comfortable if I was say reading Hegel and Shakespeare at the same time. Uh, uh, you know, it, it all. Uh, uh, came together for me in a way that didn't allow separate disciplines to ever be set up. So that's that's it in one way. Oh, I got to have one other book that I that I got to live. I, I'm going to have to live to be a hundred at least. I, I, well, you know the the, the musician Elliot Carter lived to be a hundred and four, and he wrote his last piece when he was a hundred and four, a month before he died. My grandfather lived to be 104. My grandmother was 100. Really? Mm-hmm. So you got a good shot. On my dad's side, yeah. Yeah, I did. that's that's neat. Yeah, I got some good stuff on on one or two sides, but but they all drank and ate the wrong stuff and smoked and stuff. So you can't you can't get a model out of them. Uh, the other thing that I've done, uh, now that I'm drifting enough, I've also practiced karate for most of my life. Uh, it's connected with acting. It's also connected with not letting certain emotions control you. For example, anger. Most anger is a function of fear. And if you know you can kill the guy you're about to have a discussion with, you don't have to get angry. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a, a vulgar way to put it. But one of the things I learned in there is the same way thing I learned through acting, that our emotions are disciplines. And that's when they're, that's when they're most powerful, when they discipline themselves. Uh, so it was a, but it's also good, you know. It's just, I've always loved every form of athletics. I'm not all that good at any of them, but I've always loved doing them. It's a kind of, I can't get through a day without some kind of workout. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I just wish I were younger so I could chase women. Um, well, and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that Todd said that you're the one that got him to read Freud. Todd, Todd, Todd was uh, uh, was was a graduate student under I hate the word under who worked with me and I directed his dissertation. Uh, so I, I that may be true, although in retrospect, I encouraged. Uh, Todd and another guy, Paul Eisenstein, who, who's, uh, who, who was studying at the same time, they became very interested as a result of Zizek's book, uh, the one, uh, The Sublime Object of Ideology. They became very interested in Zizek and in Lacan as a result. I knew Zizek, and, and at one time up in Michigan, uh, it had he had breakfast with both of them uh, that I, I arranged, and they got to talk with him. And he's a very cordial guy. Uh, uh, so they got really involved in that. In retrospect, I wish I'd been a little bit harder on them about it. I wish I'd pushed a little bit more on saying, don't get too tied up in just looking at Lacan. Because there's, but but that's a that's a discussion Todd and I continue to have uh, and, and will have as long as we're both around. Uh, the other, uh, my, I've had, I think I've had, the two best students I've had are Todd and the woman I'm married to. So that's working out all right. You have red hair. 
don't you? So did my mother, and so does my youngest son. Two things that I would really suggest to you, that the play that takes place on death row, the monologue, the San Quentin monologue, and the monologue that's written uh, 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 as Emily Dickinson, the night she wrote her greatest poem, My Life at Soda Lotus Gun. The other person I'd like to write a book on is Emily Dickinson. So, you know, I got to keep, but those are two monologue plays. The, the prison one, it's an actual friend of mine who's on death row in San Quentin. Uh, and I wrote a monologue play about, he's a guy who, he did, strange things happen in prison. Most of the things that happen are terrible. But some guys, some women face up the way you have to face up in psychoanalysis. And this guy did that. He came to admit, he, he killed a woman. He came to admit his crime, realize what he'd done, and punish himself, and find a way back to life. Uh, and the play is about that. And I've had the great fortune of taking that and performing it at a number of prisons. Two things I'd say about that. The best thing about performing in prison, you know you're getting out at the end of the day. <laughs> the second best thing for an actor, you will never have a tougher audience. So if you're in front of a bunch of prisoners performing a prisoner on death row talking about his life, and you do one thing that's fake, they will spot it. And the best compliment, I've had two great compliments as an actor. Maybe these are the way we should probably end pretty soon. One is when guys come up to me after that performance and they say, you've done time, haven't you? And I say, no, I haven't. But, uh, but I can find the same place in myself. The other one, one time I was in a play, a very good play called Serenading Louie, and I was playing a very glib lawyer. In fact, the best part about the play is they got me this, God, it was the best feeling suit I've ever had on. It was a lawyer's suit. Oh, it was, you know, it was a sexual experience putting on the costume. But the guy was having an affair. And one night his, he comes home. He has this long speech that he gives. It was a great play because the guy's breaking the fourth wall all the time and talking to the audience. And in a way that's trying to fuck with the audience to, to, to get into their heads. He, get, he ends this incredible speech about the, the absurdity of existence. And he turns, his wife comes in and says, who's Debbie Watkins? She, and he shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't know. One night I said, I don't know. And a woman in the front row said, you rotten son of a bitch. I wanted, I wanted to stop the show right there and say, you'll never get a better review than that. <laughs> for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard an interview with Dr. Walter Davis, Professor Emeritus at Ohio State University. His many books include Art and Politics, Psychoanalysis, 
ideology, and theater. Death's Dream Kingdom, the American Psyche since 9-11. Get the Guests, Psychoanalysis, Modern American Drama, and the Audience. An Inwardness and Existence, Subjectivity in and Hegel, Heidegger, Marx, and Freud. For more, please visit his website, walteradavis.com, and my website, drvanessasinclair.net. to be these prime agents of the X in processing scientific made by accident which it distributes in memory the expanse of night and some in both from their visceral dance mode of creating as in my occult and the even dog in book form thankful creating music in mode of creating dream work from their visceral creativity is seen in her pain Changes Member, the body, anthology, wallow in the mire, and some in both to in share no hotel, which it distributed. Finally, come memory, can only lose symbols, the institute, tilted machine, creativity is seen in her every mad love, member, prime agents, anthology in front of you, a simulacrum. On the complex relationship as a conservatory. Pain changes environment. Hearing stories. The body with she is current. Communicated isn't. Finally calm. Dance. Revenge. Wallow in the mire. Freeze. Can only lose. He is done. Finally come. Analysis. To share no hotel and revenge. Revenge. She is currently hearing stories for procreation, a simulacrum, and was considered to be as a conservator in processing scientific analysis and made by accident for procreation and creativity is seen in her made by accident. We and some the expanse of night, memory, thankful, symbols, dream work, machine. Mode of creating, tilted, which it distributed, every symbols, in both, in, in, book form, this is mad love, dream work, 